I wanted to spend this evening in chapter four. However, uh, we need to back up just a little bit. You know, when you're watching a, a good dramatic TV show, uh, sometimes they'll start the show by saying, uh, here's what happened last week, right? Well, let's do that again here. We're going to start, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in chapter four. But before we do, let's see what happened last week. Last week, we ended chapter three. I want to invite your attention back there again in uh, chapter three. At verse 20, uh, I, I want you to see verse 20 and 21 before we get to four because they're connected in some, in some pretty amazing ways. The end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four are actually connected really, uh, uh, you know, really cool. So here we go. Let me show you. Uh, Revelation 3 and 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Uh, he says, uh, he, he, he talks about the door and I want to, I want to come in through that door. I, if you'll open the door, then you and I can have communication. We can have communion together. You know, we can spend time together and that's key to understanding chapter four. Then he goes on in verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. All right, so there's the promise of being allowed into the throne room. And that's what happens in chapter four. Chapter four, verse one, John says, after this, I looked and behold, a door. Remember the door that Jesus mentioned. He says, now I see the door, only it's standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here. Now, what is that voice? Well, you remember back in chapter one, he heard a voice like a trumpet. It could be the archangel. Um, we don't know for sure. I, I kind of think that it is the voice of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I think this is God, the son who is speaking to John. And he is inviting John now. Now that the door has been opened, you come and spend time with me. I want to show you what this throne room is all about. Notice as well, he starts that verse, verse one, by saying, after this. Well, after what? Actually, after this is is more important than you might think at first glance. If you go back to chapter one at verse 19, at 1 and 19, I told you when we got there that I believe this verse is an outline for the whole book. In 1 and 19, he says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. All right. So in verse in chapter one, he tells us of this great, beautiful vision of the Son of Man, the Son of God. And in that beautiful vision, he tells us the things that he has seen. Then in chapters two and three, he talks to the churches that, uh, that are, are uh, in his area at that time, at that, at that same time that he's writing. So he's talking about those things that are. And then 
starting in chapter four, he begins to talk about the things after this. He begins to talk about the things that will come. And that is the rest of the book of Revelation now, chapters 4 through 22. John shares with us the things that are to come. And he says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And that first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. So this is what happens after this. And that voice, that voice like a trumpet, the idea of a voice like a trumpet says that this is a powerful voice, authoritative voice. Jesus is, is not the... Um, you know, he, he's, he's not the long-haired, hippie European that you see on all the movies. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the one who speaks with authority and power and majesty and glory. And it is his voice that says, come on, John, come up here. I want to show you what, what you are not going to believe. And you're going to have to explain this the best you can to everyone else. You're the man, John come and let's see and let's talk. And so he says in verse two, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Now in the spirit is important because this is how he sees into heaven. That can only happen in the spirit. In biblical times, they understood the word heaven to represent three different levels, if you will. The, the word was used in three different ways. First, you have the, the heaven that you can see during the day, what you and I call the sky. It's where the, the birds fly, the airplanes. The, the sky is, is what we can, when we can see those birds and see those planes, it, it's the part of heaven that we see during the day. Then beyond that, there is that heaven that you can only see during the night, what you and I call space. We see beyond the first heaven, and we see out now at night, we can finally see the stars and the moon and all those heavenly bodies out there. We can see another, another level of heaven. But then there is that third level, that third heaven. And that third heaven cannot be seen by day nor by night. It can only be seen by faith because it is in the spiritual realm, not necessarily miles beyond space. I don't know where it is, perhaps all around us now, but, but it is in a different realm. It is in the spiritual realm. And so he had to be in the spirit in order to see through that open door and to be able to see into the throne room of God. And it says when he saw inside that throne room, he saw a throne standing there. And you and I would probably use the word sitting. You know, there's a chair sitting over there. He said the throne was standing there. That word is a word that that describes permanence. It's not moving. It is here. It has always been here. It will always be here. The throne of God is standing firm. 
it's not going anywhere because he is not going anywhere and he will always reign. He is the sovereign God over all. And so we have that that picture of his throne and then he he says, and, and he also saw the one seated on the throne. In verse three then he says, and he sat there and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Now, don't, don't get too hung up on the colors of the gemstones. Jasper is usually green. Um, however, later in chapter 21 of Revelation, it says that, there, that the jasper is clear. Um, and so for you and I, that might be something more akin to a diamond. Um, and and the, uh, uh, the carnelian is a green gemstone. Um, some versions use a different word for that. Uh, uh, that other, the other versions use a word that's based on Sardis, where they got the, the stone. But regardless which name, it's, it's the same thing. It's a red gemstone. And then the, the, uh, the rainbow with, with uh, emerald, and you know emerald is usually green. But don't get hung up on that, because the colors and the gemstones are not really the point. The point is, he is experiencing something in the spiritual realm that he cannot adequately put into words. He cannot help our finite minds to comprehend the beauty and majesty and glory that he is experiencing, that he is seeing. The only way he knows to do that is to speak about the most beautiful things he can think of. Rainbows and gemstones and light and it, it's a, it, it, how the lights dance off of those gemstones and capture his attention. It's beauty. He's describing things that cannot be put into words. And by the way, um, as we look at the throne room and the throne, we, uh, we see the rainbow and, and the gemstones. Uh, we're, we're reminded of the other times in Scripture where God's people are able to see God. Now, there's a verse that says no man has ever seen God. And, and that, is, that, that is, is factual. That's true. But there are times when other people, prophets, were able to see to get a glimpse of God. They weren't able to see his face in, uh, in, an, in any kind of unveiled way, but they were able to see God in a veiled sense. Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel had a vision where he got to see God. Moses saw God. Daniel saw God. And, and so they, they see him, but he's always, uh, he's always veiled. In this case, you'll notice there's no description of God's face. God is like, he says, a jasper and carnelian and rainbows and emeralds and the beauty of it all. That's the best he can do. But I want to encourage you when you have time to go and look at the, um, the other descriptions of the throne room, of, of heaven and seeing God. Uh, go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, and again, Ezekiel chapter 10. And uh, spend a little bit of time in Isaiah chapter 6, and then go to Daniel 7. In, in, those, um, 
in those other texts, you'll see that they were able to see this throne room, and it's amazing to notice the similarities of what they saw and how they tried to describe it the best they could because um, they, these are folks from different times in different places, and they describe something very, very similar. Matter of fact, I've prepared for you a, a little handout that I, I hope you have um, uh, access to those this evening. Um, this handout describes John's vision in Revelation 4 on the left, and then on the right, it describes uh, the visions that the prophets had, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, and Ezekiel 10. And uh, you can compare those and see how similar they really were. By the way, I want to make sure that you notice this is not my work. Uh, this is the work of Charles Swindoll, and I gave credit to him down there at the bottom from his New Testament commentary. Uh, but take some time and look at that uh, sometime this week when you can. You'll be amazed to think that folks way, way back in the Old Testament saw this same th throne room and saw very, very similar images and described them in very similar ways as J what John saw from the Isle of Patmos when he was taken in the spirit up to that throne room. So, all right, verse four now. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. Now, um, I, I think John is describing the court. Uh, whenever a king would sit on the throne, he would be surrounded by his court. And, and I think that's what John sees. That's how he understands a courtroom, or a throne room, I should say. Uh, there's the, 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 the king on the throne, and he's surrounded by his royal court. So who, are, who is the royal court? Who are these 24 elders? Well, the truth is, we really don't know. Um, there's, um, you know, scholars talk about this back and forth and back and forth, and, and there's, uh, there's somewhere close to 15 different um, possible explanations of who the 24 elders are. And um, because we have such limited time, uh, I, I don't want to get into all of that with you. Let me just tell you that I think, I believe, the 24 elders are representatives of the redeemed, of the church, of, of God's people. Uh, the 24 elders just represent all of us, Old Testament saints, New Testament believers, all of us who are God's people, the redeemed. They, they represent us around the throne. And so these 24 elders surround him, and he is in the very midst, in the center. He is in the center of heaven itself. He is in the very center of, uh, of command central, if you will. God is the Almighty One who is sovereign over the entire creation, heaven and earth alike. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons that I think the 24 elders are representative of believers, of the redeemed, is the description we have in that next phrase. He says the 24 elders were clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Well, in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, gold, uh, uh, white garments represent the, um, the, the redeemed. It represents what has happened in our lives. Now that we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed. White garments always represent that in the New Testament. And they have thrones. And you'll remember um, in one of the letters to the churches, Jesus said, remain thou faithful unto death, and I will give to thee 
the crown of life. And Paul talks about us receiving crowns as well. And so they have golden crowns on their heads. Well, this they're wearing the garments of the redeemed and they have the crowns that have been received. And so I believe these represent the church. From the throne, look in verse 5, from the throne gave, came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, my video tape has such a limited time on it. I have to go move very quickly. But let me, let me just show you what has happened here. John has been looking at God on the throne. Then he looks at the 24 elders. And, and while he's looking around, he's amazed at all that he sees. But before he gets too distracted, God wakes him up and says, hey, John, focus on me. You know, and the way he does that is through lightning and thunder. John is amazed at everything he says, sees. And then the lightning and the thunder wakes him up and he sees the throne again. But now not just the throne, but there is in front of the throne, the seven torches, which represent the seven spirits. Remember the number seven is a symbol of perfection, completion. There are not seven Holy Spirits. There is one, but this is the complete, perfect, holy spirit. And so if I'm right about the voice that John heard, and that really is God the Son, then what we have here is a powerful depiction of the Trinity. We have God the Son who spoke, God the Father who sits on the throne, and God the Spirit who is present with them. So we have the Trinity represented for us in this beautiful, beautiful place. And before the throne, there is, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. The, before the throne, there, there is some kind of, of solid uh, uh, crystalline uh, foundation. It, it, it means that this is not just, just something that's going to come and go. This is, this is established. And John sees that this crystal is like a sea, but it's glass. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, these four living creatures, we find out in, in uh, Ezekiel, as he describes these creatures, he describes them in one chapter, and then later on in chapter 10, verse 15, he tells us that these creatures are the cherubs. In Hebrew, they would use I am as uh, plural, and so they would have said cherubim. These are the cherubim, the cherubs. And if, if you'll notice, they each, they each have a different look. One is, it looks like a lion. Well, who's a lion? The lion is the king of the beasts. He's the king of the wild animals. The other looks like an ox. And the ox is the biggest and strongest of all the domesticated animals. So he's king of the tame or the domesticated animals. And then there's the eagle. The eagle who soars with such majesty. He is the king of the sky. The king of the flying beasts, if you will. And then there's man. Remember 
when God created man, he gave him, according to Genesis, he gave him dominion over the earth. Therefore, man can be understood as the king of the earth. And so it's all covered. You've got the king of the wild animals, the king of the tame animals, the king of the sky, and the king of the earth, and they all are bowing down and worshiping the king of all kings. You see the power and the beauty of that here in verse 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Six wings means that they're ready to move at a moment's notice. They can go this way, that way, up, down, left, right. They can move any way they want. They, they need to move to accomplish what God calls them to accomplish. They have eyes all around, inside and out. It just means that they are very alert and they see everything happening around them and they are ready to act as soon as God calls them to do something on his behalf. And it says that these powerful, powerful heavenly beings, um, in verse 8, it says that day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You say something three times, then that is, that is how you put an exclamation point in biblical languages. They, this would be big and bold and italicized with an exclamation point. Holy! You're not just holy, 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 holy. You're completely different and separate from any other being. He is the one who is the Lord. He is the one who is God. He is the one who is almighty. He is the one who is above and beyond time. Not even bound by time because he was and is and is to come. All at the same time in our sense. Time is a construct we need to make life make sense. He needs. He doesn't need that. He is above it and beyond it. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. The elders see the four creatures worshiping and they can't wait to join them. And all the heavenly beings then are worshiping the Lord God Almighty. It says they cast their crowns before the throne. Why? Because they know they didn't earn them. The crowns were given to them by grace and they know they're not worthy. So they cast their crowns before him and they say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That picture makes us remember perhaps the old hymn that we used to sing. In verse 2 of this great old hymn, we sang, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which wert and art and evermore shalt be, which means who was, who is, and who is to come. To God be the glory.